American United is the full-service credit union for our veterans. Learn more about their 1% cashback visa with low fixed rates as well as cash back on every purchase. It's one of the ways they can give back to their members. Learn more at amucu.org. Now is the time to find your color, your paint, and everything to get started during red, white, and blue savings at the Home Depot. Transforming your room is easier than ever. With the best deals online and in-store, you can confidently select your color and the tools for your next paint project. Get a colorful new experience and the right paint for the right price. Save $10 on one gallon and $40 off three and five gallons for a limited time only at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Limit 25 gallons per household. See store for details. Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson. Today we've got another episode of Top Reads where we review books that uh, would be very helpful to innovators and entrepreneurs with my co-host, Ryan Clements. But... No, one person doesn't build anything great. You And if you think one person has built something great, go try to build something great by yourself. <laughs> like this is another episode of Innovation and Leadership. Today, we're going to be picking from the 400 plus books on business, marketing, and strategy that we've read and talking about one of them that we feel like can have a big impact on innovators and entrepreneurs as they try to invent the future. As always, in addition to learning from the show, we hope you'll consider clicking on the Child Rescue tab on our website, iCollective.co to see how you can help change the life of a child that's been rescued from abuse and trafficking. Also, we love all of you who've been emailing to tell us what parts of the episodes you really liked or, or what was helpful to you. And to everybody else, if you have time, we'd love to hear from you. Just send me an email at stories at iCollective.co. And now on to the episode. Ryan, thanks for being on the show. And what are we going to talk about today? Well, we're going to talk about a book. It's a it's a short book, but a very impactful book. Um, could could be if you apply it. Uh, it's called The Go Giver, a, a, a little story about a powerful business idea, and it's by uh, Bob Berg and John David Mann. So let me just kind of jump into to the this book. So. Again, like I said, it's it's pretty short, about 127-ish pages. The Go-Giver is written in the um, by use of what I, I would call like a business fable. So those of you who are familiar with this style may recognize or may have read other books like Richest Man in Babylon, um, uh, greatest salesman in the world, uh, the goal. Um, what are some other business fables that that uh, you that you've you've read, Jess? Oh, sure. Um, how about Arbinger's uh, leadership and self deception? Yes. Or yeah. um, you know, th- there's a number of these books that have been done that way, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so for those of you, or those of the listeners who who aren't familiar with it, really, what we have here is we have we have kind of a, a story. Um, that the author uh, creates a fictional story to um, uh, highlight a principle or a set of principles. Okay, um, actually, another good one that that I'll just throw out too is um, Robin Sharma uses this quite a bit. Is that the monk uh, who sold his Ferrari? Yeah, monk who sold his Ferrari, a leader without a title. That, that seems to be his kind of preferred application. Um, is this kind of business myth, business fable? Um, sure. setting. So, so they tell a story, a fictional story, and they're teaching or trying to teach a principle um, behind the story. Now, now some of the, the hardcore data people may think, well, this is not for me. You know, I'd, I'd prefer a, a good to great type uh, book where it's hard data, it's quant, you know, it's, it's independently verifiable, peer, peer reviewed kind of thing. And, and I'd say, you know, I, 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 I love that too. Um, don't, necessarily discount uh this um if if you find like i guess what i would say with this this style is do your own experiments with it see if the experiments yield you positive results and if they do then then accept the premise like when you read one of these books don't just say okay well this just is what what it is because again, you don't necessarily have the hard data to prove it, so it creates the impetus on you to go out and do the experiment, and 
and yeah. see whether or not this yields positive results for you. I wanted to to bring this book up. I had referred you to it a little while ago because I actually done done it in my life. Like, and and I tend to be one of these people who who really errs on the side of quant. I want, <laughs> yeah. I'm data. I want, you know, I'm a lawyer by education. <laughs> yeah, I know. You like, you like stuff that's fits on an Excel spreadsheet and has a legal I test. I have a huge BS detector. Like, yeah. Okay. So, so normally when I read these types of books, I go, okay, this is, this is an interesting concept. Um, but I'm not going to put a judgment on it uh, until I try some of it. Well, and um, and can I interrupt yeah. you for just a second, just yeah, to give some people some more context? Uh, if you ha- do you have a copy of it with you? Yep, I do. Can you can you just read us what the laws are yes, to begin absolutely. with? Give some more context. Yeah, to the and, to and the principle. The other thing that I want to want to say too with the readers. So so let me just kind of go through the laws, and then and then I'll apply. Really, I'll, I'll show the application and, and why I think there's value in it. And the value is not because of some anecdotal evidence uh, that, that, that the author has. This is the value for me is that I've actually gone and tested this. And so I would leave that with a challenge with, with the listeners to go out and test it. So, so the, the, the book gives kind of a story of an executive who's kind of down on his luck a little bit. He meets a mentor, and the mentor is kind of an, a, an eccentric fellow and he teaches him about these five stratospheric laws or five laws of stratospheric success. So the first law he calls the law of value. And I'll, I'll, I'll note what this law is. So it's on page 34, the law of value. The law of value, your true worth is determined by how much more you give in value than you take in payment. So then the next law that it again teaches through this story is what they call the law of compensation, which is your income is determined by how many people you serve and how well you serve them. And the next law is called the law of influence. Your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. Fourth law, law of authenticity. And this law states the most valuable gift you have to offer is yourself. And then the last law is what he calls the law of receptivity, which is the key to effective giving is to stay open to receiving. So um, I guess for me, like when I read this, I read through the book and I'm like, okay, it's an interesting story. And these are kind of like feel good principles and they seem to, you know, seemed to, I guess, make intuitive sense. But but there was kind of a little bit of even a holdback in my own perception. I thought, with the law of value in, in particular, I thought, well, what, what, is, what is the application? How can I actually apply this? And I'll tell everyone how I did. And, you know, and, and maybe you can do your own experiments and, you know, we can, uh, um, you know, kind of create a discussion out of this over time. But, but my thought is, is this, in... If, if I actually believe this principle, then in every engagement that I do, I'm going to kind of suspend my attachment to results. Um, you know, and this kind of goes to a lot of the kind of stoicism type application that we, we've gotten into a bit in the past. But I'm going to suspend my application of, of the results that I'm going to get. And I'm only going to focus on creating massive value. And so any context. So if I'm in an entrepreneurial setting, I, I'm just going to focus on making sure my product or my service creates massive value and, and even more, more value for my customers than the price I'm charging for it. That kind of became the mindset. Or, or if I'm in an employment yeah, context, I love it. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create more value for you know, my employer than the paycheck I get. Okay, or you can you can you can apply this in really any no, setting. Think about those great breakfast diners where it's like yeah. you're like, wow, this this is like a little bit of an expensive breakfast, but then they bring yes. you this like plate that could feed five people, and you're like, oh my gosh, you yeah. would believe how much food I got. It was incredible, and you're talking about it for like two weeks to people. Oh, we it, were on vacation. We went to this one place. Oh my goodness, you wouldn't believe it, it was so good. And there was like they gave you so much. Exactly. That's exactly where I was going to head. So I started to, to kind of attempt this methodology. 
where I just try to like go above and beyond um, in certain settings than, than what I would get. Okay. Um, and what I found is, is it's kind of a principle that Seth Godin articulates really well. He particularly, and, and we'll, I'm sure over time we're going to get into a bunch of Seth Godin, but particularly in his book, like Purple Cow, and he, and he gave a TED talk about this too, about ideas worth remarking about. And this idea is this, like in today's day and age, the internet has made competition uh, uh, very, very easy to, you know, we, we've taken down shipping costs. We've, we've made startup both incredibly easy and incredibly challenging at the same time because there is, there is, it's very hard to distinguish yourself. You basically have to be worth remarking about or is what he calls is remarkable. Well, in my experience, when do people remark about me? Um, or about, or, or even better, when do I remark about other companies? And, and I usually found that there's two circumstances. And I actually give this advice to my clients all the time. If, if you're giving a service and your service or product meets the expectations of the customer, you usually don't get remarked about because they're paying you. Like they have an expectation that that you're going to provide this. They're going to give this amount of money for that, and you you meet that expectation. So they don't say anything. When do they talk? They talk if your product or service is worse than their expectation, or they talk if your product or service is better than your expectation. And so I think this law of value, and this is the part that you were just saying about this, about your diner experience, this law of uh, uh, value is really just another way of saying if, if you can execute and deliver better than what the expectation is, then you become remarkable, worth remarking about, you know, if you come in just right at the expectation, though, then th- th- there's nothing, or, or even worst case scenario, if you come in below the expectation. Um, so is that, is that kind of what you got from it, too? Jess? Oh, yeah. You know, I think about uh, a friend of mine. I was, so uh, Bloomberg New Energy Finance had a yeah. sales manager, David Tyree. He's doing private wealth management for um, Merrill Lynch now. And he wasn't just trying to get me to take a subscription from Bloomberg. I would go to these conferences and it wasn't cheap to go to London or New York or wherever it was. Right. But, um, he like, he like made me feel part of the Bloomberg family. He would go out of his way like crazy to be like, he'd start talking to me. Hey, how you doing? I haven't seen you for a while. What are you doing? Oh, we're working on this. We're thinking about maybe, maybe buying a, you know, buying a wind farm. Kind of thing. You're kidding. Stop, don't stop right there. You know, who you need to talk to. And he just like walks you around the conference and like uses his social capital up. With other clients of his or just somebody that he knows, he's like, if you want to know about, you know, wind farms in Iowa or you want to know about wind farms in Ontario, this guy has done that. You, you guys got to get together. And he's like, has nothing to do. He doesn't make any more money, you know, at all. And you just feel like, why does this guy care about me? Like, he's got these huge, giant clients, you know, who have like mm-hmm. tons and tons of Bloomberg subscriptions. Why does he mm-hmm. give a crap about me? He He like is going so far above and beyond. Like it got yeah. to the point where I sent him birthday presents. Do you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's exactly right. So I think when you, when you turn that into a habit, you know, in the, in the past episodes, we talked about talent code and we talked about myelin and, you know, automatic performance and deep practice and things like that. Well, I think when you, when you deep practice this idea of, of dramatically, um, uh, over delivering in a way greater than people's expectations then then that kind of stuff happens and it kind of then leads into to the second law this law of compensation which says your income is determined by how many people you serve and how well you serve them i actually think that there's some data on this i i don't think it's just a feel-good story i and i was actually i got in a debate a little while ago with with someone who um was questioning the value of like, or the valuation of something like Facebook. 
and said, well, you know, it's, we, we live in an absolutely absurd world that, that there's nothing, there's no hard asset behind this. Um, and, and it's just, it's absurd that that type of a portal can be worth that much. And, and I said, well, I don't, I'm not going to refute the argument that there's no natural resource behind that, but I, I think we're kind of missing the point here. The value is subjective. Uh, values interpreted by the person receiving it, not by the person giving it. And there is a, a, uh, an interpretive value. And whether you use Facebook or use the, the competitors, you know, Facebook has, has, you know, competition from whether it be Snapchat or Instagram or other, other types of things that, that, that start to pull people from in every circumstance there is some type of a subjective interpretation of value that is then being shared by millions of people. And, and then as yeah. a result, the creators of that are compensated extremely well. No, and no. So when you're looking at your product or your service, you got to ask yourself the question of like, am I providing the value, which is again, in, not interpreted. You might say, well, yeah, this is a value because I think it's valuable. If the marketplace isn't, isn't thinking it's valuable if people aren't buying into it, then, then they're not subjectively interpreting it as the same value. And, and have you created a, a portal to be able to, to, to impact tons and tons and tons of people? Yeah. Because that's, that's the way to multiply. Well, listen, isn't this such a classic uh, entrepreneur, solopreneur, self-employed yeah. paradox where uh-huh. there's not enough definition? You know, I was teaching a, we ran an entrepreneur course, just a free meetup for people. Um, we talked about this idea of like the comparison of the heart surgeon versus the guy that owns Walmart, right? Yep. The, like Sam, yep. you know, the Sam Walton family. And you, you say yep. like that heart surgeon, he can produce a huge value for an individual client. And, yes. and so he gets paid very well compared to maybe your average worker, right? Yes. Where yeah, that's the, right. the Walton family that can save me 50 cents on my A&W root beer, also known as the elixir of life. Um, you know, that might be thought of as a smaller value, but because they can systematically deliver that small value to so many people, they're rewarded the way that they are, where the heart surgeon that has to physically be present has to be there to, to, to provide that value. And so by definition, we'll only be able to do so many heart surgeries in the week. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, I mean, you talk about this whole cash flow quadrant side of things of people who have they think they're an entrepreneur, but they're really just trading dollars for hours in the job they bought themselves versus yeah. creating the kind of system that can work for them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and the value, this is, this is where having the courage to, to be an entrepreneur um, and, and, and to really just move forward with your hedgehog that we talked about in, in the episode with, with Jim uh, on Good to Great with Jim Collins, like this idea of what you're passionate about and what you can be the best in the world at and what drives the economic engine. You know, I, I recently finished um, uh, a book, an, a biography on Jeff Bezos with Amazon, and, and he got such resistance because you were talking about Walmart and how, how Walmart, you know, creates a 50-cent value across a hundred hundreds of millions of transactions well so does amazon and and when amazon was created there was so much resistance um both from institutional financing um you know mentors things like that about you're trying to do what you're trying to become like walmart <laughs> like what uh, you, you know how, how in the world do you do that but there's this idea of no there's a value here like there, there is a huge value that people are going are going are going to jump on and we're going to want to share it with others and there's a there's a leverage potential to be able to to touch upon so many different people yeah um i i think that's something that every entrepreneur needs to look at and confront a brutal fact in their business with is, you know, what value am I creating? I, I think it's I think it's actually helpful to even write this down. Like, take a really hard look and say, like, what is the value? Like, what is it? What is it that that is different than you know? What, what is it that <laughs> distinguishes me? No, it's it's um, so true though. Like, you you talk about Jeff Bezos, and I'm thinking yeah. about 
you know, he recently, in the last handful of years here, paid a billion dollars to buy Tony Shea's company, Zappos. Yep. And I, I got invited down to Catalyst Week that Amanda Slavin runs, um, partnered with Tony Shea for, for the downtown project, and mm-hmm. got to go meet Tony and, and do tours at Zappos. And it's incredible how, you know, the value thing, he, he's really nailed in the sense of, you know, you're ordering these shoes and you pay for four-day shipping, and they arrive at your door before you left for work the next morning sometimes. Like, yeah. they just shock people yeah. by, like, overnighting stuff to people when they weren't expecting it. Like, just all this above and beyond behavior. Yep. But then yep. to your point about and how many people can you do that for, it is systematic. I mean, the level of thinking, he, he, like, the intentionality of this culture of over-delivering, yep. that ha- they, they baked it into the DNA of Zappos, you get that Jeff Bezos quote of when he's talking about the acquisition. He says, "When I find a customer obsessed company, I get weak in the knees." Yeah, and yeah. you know buys a company for a billion valuation, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's why I think the this book can can. Um, I think this book is is a is a diamond in in the rough. I think that this book is one that that. When people are in the business section, and people who are who are inclined like like myself, which which I actually find a lot of entrepreneurs are, a lot of my entrepreneurial clients in startup, or they are um, uh, engineering backgrounds, or they're kind of uh, technical backgrounds. Um, and and when I when I walk through the business section, your Barnes and Noble, you're wherever, and, and you look at this, and you know, there's this kind of this on the cover. There's this picture of this kind of angel looking dude <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know there, there's a quote from whatever you know probably oprah who, Ar- who ariana huffington <laughs> yeah something like that you're just like well this really, this isn't for me you know where's where's the where's the data show me the data i want the data i, I don't really need a feel-good story um <laughs> I, I think that 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 can be a mistake yeah i uh, I, I don't mind saying it all you're like you know, we're talking. We're talking about. I was the sales training. I was teaching to. I don't know if it was the advertising agency or the 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 uh, building company. But you're saying, well, you, we're talking. You and I were talking about sales books a yeah. couple weeks ago when you recommended, and you told me this one, and I was kind of like, yeah, kind of sounds like touchy feely. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I like you give me <laughs> such good recommendations in the past. I'm like, oh, big deal. You know, I'll listen. You know, I listen to Triple Speed, so it's not. I'm not like it's yeah. not wasting that much time. I'll you know, and it was like, anyways. I was pleasantly surprised. Really glad I paid the price to get through the end. Um, what's what's the next law? Okay, the next law is the law of influence. Um, uh, the law of influence. Your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. And, and I think you can really take all of these. And I, I think what makes this book impactful is is you can look at companies who are being who are very successful. Who are growing? Who are who are becoming these kind of almost good to great type companies? And you can see you you can see if you analyze them that there is an application um, in in each of these roles. Like we, there's an application in the law of value that 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 they're constantly over delivering, right? There's an application in the law of compensation that they're that they're adding subjective, there's like this subjective interpretation of value multiplied by tons and tons of people who get to experience that subjective um, uh, value. And then this one, this law of influence, how your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. I I think this is, you can distill this into like a a customer service uh, context in, in, you know, how effective are you in, in customer service and distinguishing yourself from your competitors in in going that extra mile, uh, adding that value, that becomes your influence, and then that ties into in this concept that Seth Godin talks about all the time of being remarkable, of people talking about you because they they feel like their experience with you is better than they expect, and because it's better than they expect, they they want to share it um, with other people. And they want and and we we live in in the day and age right now. I think where, like, you can a business can get viral traction 
very, very quick. But a business can also almost become undone very quickly as well, right? So because this, uh, this idea of shareability is now completely multiplied multiply because we don't operate in just our own little circles anymore. Small ecosystem. Like, no, no, no. Like what we're so tied in. And, and then the other thing, like when you read, for example, um, Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell, where he talks about the, the uh, underlying story behind like the six degrees of separation – you know, the six degrees of Kevin Bacon kind of story. He, he talks about how really what the really lesson behind that, that, uh, that study was is not that all of us are connected um, uh, to each other in six steps. It's that there are actually super connectors that exist throughout society. And super connectors are connected on a far greater scale to to other people and we you know we may be a super connector or we may be tied into these super connectors but these these super connectors have a huge platform of influence and i think with social media like when you ignore the law of value and when you ignore this idea this law of influence um you you're you're playing a dangerous game because because everyone in your circle of influence may be connected to a super connector you know who, who then can push your business way out in both negatively or positively just by virtue of something they say about it um, uh, to a far greater audience. And so I, I just don't think that we can ignore um, uh, these concepts. And I think that, that businesses that, that are using a different terminology, so maybe they're not using a, a, a concept based on a, business myth or a flowery story or something like that like maybe it's more it's lean methodology or it's more scientific in its methodology i I really think they're still kind of doing the same thing (laughs) you know what i mean like 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 the the minimum viable product analysis in lean methodology still relies the only way to avoid uh an ultimate pivot is to consistently provide a product that is uh, embraced as valuable to a wide group of people. So it's like we're getting at the same thing. Like we're really getting at the heart of what – I think this is why this book is so meaningful, I think, is because it's really, to me, touching on a, like a, a fundamental concept with any business. Like if your business – doesn't have a strong value proposition and if you aren't able to to convey that to a wide range of people then you'll be limited in your business success well i I agree will you reread the definition as they have it it made me think about um i want to comment on something yeah the law of value which one the the third one one, yeah so your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. So to me, what I think is magic about this is, um, you know, if you ever read Robert Meister's book, The Trusted Advisor, um, mm, yeah, yeah. And, and he talks about how, like, to develop trust, you you need to go first, right? Yeah. You can't say, like, well, if I knew there was oil down there, I'd drill the well, right? Yeah. Um, and, or I, <laughs> geothermal, same thing, right? The, the, like, um, this idea of like taking a bit of risk and going first, it, it follows such a natural order of things. You think about like the sales rep, you know, some, some kid in the summer who shows up in your doorstep trying to sell you magazines. Really, you know, he doesn't care about you at all. He's just trying to get his commission and it comes through in everything he says, and then he's going to get you the magazines. Yeah. And it's like, this is not a fun transaction. I feel like you're trying to shoehorn me into your agenda. Right. Yeah. Where those people shares. <laughs> sure. Right. Yeah. Those exactly. people who show up and yeah. they like they think their job is to make your future better, like get rid of the hurdles and give you the give you the express lane to like the your dream lifestyle as you paint it. Right. Yeah. Those people are so easy to love and like 
no wonder you want, no wonder you are happy to give them your business. Like when they really care about you, you know, like I just think, um, I was been teaching a sales training last week. Um, and it was this idea of like, if you get your client promoted, like let's say, let's say you're in business to business and this is like key account management yeah. and, and you like kind of put, you know, take your salesperson hat off for a minute and become the valuable advisor that like really digs into their problems so deep you can help them get a raise or get promoted or yeah. right. What are the chances that they don't bring you with you them when they get promoted? OPS yeah. when their budget is bigger with like this idea of like, you know, Robert Cialdini and his book influence when they measured yeah. reciprocity, right? Yeah, this sure. idea of like showing up, scratching them back their back first, doing them a solid, not in some manipulative tit for tat way, but like, legitimately having their back. Yeah. How does that not invite the same thing of them like wanting to take care of you back like, "Oh my gosh, you did me such a solid. Uh, I, you know, what can I do for you? Oh, you want me to pay for that contract?" Do you know what I mean? Like it's for sure. And I think I think what what um kind of gets people stuck in this concept is you know, the law of the averages of society is such that that there's going to be you know, I don't know whether it be two out of 10 or three out of 10 people won't, won't engage with the law of reciprocity. Mm. And so, you know, if, if you have, but, but the flip side is 80 or 70% will, but the challenge is, I think with a lot of people, you know, you, you run an experiment where you go out of your way to do a solid or to go above and beyond. And, and it's not it's not reciprocated, or and or the he, tree hasn't got to the maturity of bearing the fruit yet. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Or or you have some preconceived notion about how it should be reciprocated, mm. and and it doesn't come that way. And so then maybe you 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 run it again, and then and then you know kind of maybe the same thing happened, but but you haven't generated a statistically significant you know observation yet you've only experimented with a couple things and you haven't given a lot of time so then you you adapt these uh this mindset about wow whatever you know everyone's out for themselves and it is what it is and that's just i'm going to look out for myself and everyone's looking out for themselves and you know what i mean like you, you i think before you can judge any principle and I think this is a good thing to talk about as we go through all these books and we're giving content and ideas to entrepreneurs. Like, don't take our word for anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get out and test it yourself. But um, you, you got to actually test it. Like, you got to give some time for, you mean as, for real you, data to come forward. As opposed to just <laughs> looking for disconfirming evidence as quick as you yes. can. Because of confirmation bias that you have about the principle. Yeah, exactly. I will say, say the well, beginner's mind is like one of the hardest things for me is, you know, you pay the price. You have so many, you have so many bumps and bruises from all like your great ideas that crashed and burned. Right. Yeah. And you get some stuff that works and it's pretty easy to think you're hot stuff. Yeah. And like sure. intentionally coming with the beginner's mind of like, no, I'm going to, like I'm really going to give this a fair shot instead of claiming I know everything in my mind. Mm -hmm. uh, it's I actually feel like it's like a talent. It's like a muscle I want to strengthen is my ability to yeah. let go of my ego. I think it's a, I think it's a powerful thing, and I think it's a theme that will will be recurring. And you know whether you source it through stoicism or or I actually just even like to look at it through the experimental method. You know the or sorry the scientific method, um, which is no no predetermined attachments to really any outcome until you've tested the hypothesis right yeah. and so you and and i find that to be a very and i actually you know when and we're going to get to lean startup uh, eventually but i find that that when i first read lean startup that was that was my initial thought as i said this book is purely just uh, an elaboration or a contextualization of the scientific method into startup that's all that this is, which you is know, awesome. It, it, oh, it's it's awesome. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, absolute respect, Eric Reese. I love the book, and I, and I I've bought copies for clients. Um, but that's really what we're talking about here. But don't you love <laughs> you know? how it takes 
it takes the fortune telling out of it. You know, I think yes. about somebody we had on the interview we had on the show, Lindsay Hadley. Um, yeah. She used to run Child Rescue, and she went on to raise, you know, pr- be the executive producer on these big concerts. You know, Australia raised $118 million for polio. Um, yeah. Global Festival in New York raising $500 million on stage. You get another $800 million connected. You know, uh, all these connection things. Now she's got, you know, Hugh Jackman and his wife as one of her clients and, and these other high-profile people, right? And yeah. She is just so unpretentious and um, she like, it's like her default position is like when you first meet her, she, she starts out liking you. Like me and most of my friends, you like need to earn your way (laughs) up the pedestal. No, you meet her and she just loves you and she's complimenting you and she's so energetic and um, like drastically over delivering when you haven't even paid for anything. She's just trying to help you. Right. Yeah. And but she, but it's not this tit for tat thing. Like her life is so enjoyable mm. because she's not measuring. It's like, uh, you know, Guy Kawasaki's uh, Art of the Start, that chapter about being yep. a mensch of like, yep. hey, there's three reasons to do a good deed. Like <laughs> yeah. if you want to get a coach seat to the airplane to heaven, uh, do it because somebody might do something for your back. You know, he goes through <laughs> these reasons. But like if you want to lay down seat on Singapore Airlines, yeah. you know, Help, help someone who can't help you back for no other reason than it's the right thing to do. Yeah. But even if you try that, it can't help but bear fruit. Oh, for sure. And I think that's, I think one of the, the best things an entrepreneur could do um, is to entirely embrace, um, you can call it a scientific uh, methodology or some people call it Socratic, you know, methodology of, of just suspend judgment until you act. You know, act and and then determine results based on data that you see after you've acted and after you've acted in a long enough period to be able to have some data to really analyze it. <clears throat> but give you, you you can't just discount things. Give you you have to give them benefit of the doubt and, and apply them. And a lot of stuff I think too that you're talking about is just you know the kind of stuff that that we were just raised you know, the golden rule and being nice and you know being nice to people like it it's not overrated in in business i rarely come across someone who i just think man that person's a complete jerk and and they're just now don't get me wrong like i i encounter people in business all the time yeah i thought you were like, a lawyer what <laughs> yeah no yeah well i'm talking about entrepreneurs you know <laughs> lawyers lawyers are generally a tool in the arsenal of the entrepreneur <laughs> and, and, and some of lawyers have different functions as tools. Some are <laughs> knives or guns. <laughs> Others are, you know, measuring tapes. <laughs> so it, it's, it's a much, you know, it depends on the, the nature of the tool. Um, but I would say in my impression of, of a lot, whether it be from my own networking, my mentoring networks, both as, mentor and being mentored by uh, individuals, you know, all the various uh, associations I'm involved in networking, you know, I've, I've had exposure in my own clients and my, my own self with my entrepreneurial ventures. I've had exposure at this point to, to, uh, I have no idea how many entrepreneurs, but many, many, many. And, and I would say it's, it's more often the case than not that, that good and successful entrepreneurs are, there's a, a good, there's a good sense about them that they have good people skills. They're they're very um, intuitive, scientific method. You know, not you know, and any and, and ego driven can do a lot for um, you know ambition and things like that. But but I I find more often than not it's not it's not caricatures. It's not these larger than life egos that that really are these people when you meet them. And I think this is what Jim Collins really, really is getting at when he discusses in good to great about level five leadership and about it, you know, it's, it's not the what it's the who is that, is that, you know, some of these really simple things that your grade two teacher taught you about how to treat kids on the playground end up being super important in the business world as well. There's so many temptations to the opposite. Like, um, you know, I think about, you know, a couple of the billionaires that I was able to spend some time with. And the next law is the authenticity one, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. And it's fascinating how, in my experience, it's the guy who's making a few hundred grand that, you know, he, he's made it slightly above average, um, that really wants to believe his own press clippings that become so off-putting yeah. Yeah. versus like when I, when I've met the people who have done really incredible things or, or on the nonprofit side, the, um, you know, the social entrepreneurs that have affected big, big change. Yeah. I find them so unconcerned that yes. you think they're a big deal. Yes. Yeah. Like yeah, that's just not like a priority list of like making sure that just thought I was awesome. <laughs> you yes. know? Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that is very true. And the, the people that I look to, and I, when I look around, I think like who, who are my dream mentors or who are the people that my aspirational contacts or, or when, when you actually meet some of your dream mentors in, in your aspirational context, um, you know, who remains a mentor at that point? <laughs> you know, After meeting them. Yeah. But, but I would say that for the most part, cause I've had a chance to, to meet or associate with, with, um, you know, dream mentors, aspirational contacts, or you meet people and, and and I I agree with what you said. I, I find that sometimes, you know, those uh, who are part of the organization who are maybe ambitious to become that individual, or maybe their lawyer, or maybe an advisor, like they might be the ones that are pretty prickly. But often the person who created the whole thing um, is, uh, and then obviously there's lots of cases against this, and people would immediately point out and say, well, you know, I. Steve Jobs apparently wasn't the, the nicest guy to be around, but I, I think I think Steve Jobs. I think we spend too, I won't say too much time, but but you know we spend a lot of time looking at that case, and it's and it's easy to have a little bit of a selection bias or a little bit of confirmation bias to think that that because Steve Jobs was a certain way that are are like that as well. And yeah, I, look at Warren I, Buffett. Or look at. Uh, yeah, Branson, Richard Branson, yeah. Warren Buffett, like this. I, I think that there's way more cases of of individuals who aren't that way. Like, yes, there has to be a monomaniacal focus completely, um, you know. Um, but I don't think it's the only way, and I, I believe there's there's data to 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 support that too. You know, and you know, ultimately too, this law of authenticity. If if that's the way you are, then then I guess that's you know and and you'll uh, you know from the Jeff Bezos book too. Uh, apparently he's he was challenging to to work with too. Um, you have to you have to also be uh, willing and uh, perceptive enough to surround yourself with people to build. Like you're not going to Jeff Bezos didn't build Amazon by himself. Steve, yeah. Steve Jobs didn't build Apple by himself. Like we, we, we in our we we have a live in a culture of celebrity hero, hero worship. Yeah, we do, and we, we and it happens in business too. Like we got we got accolades and magazines and everything else that that creates this this hero worship culture um, that permeates into the business world. But no, one one person doesn't build anything great. You and if you think one person has built something great. Go try to build something great by yourself. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like if, if you believe that, you probably haven't done a business venture because you realize right away that that it's not one person. You, you know, that, you just touched on something that was an experience for me this morning. Um, I was in, I was getting ready. Uh, there's a guy, uh, Sanjay Rowell, that's coming on the show. He's a documentary filmmaker. He made a, a movie called Food Chains that had a real big effect in the United States because it showed how in just the last handful of years, there were still people in Florida who were, um, you know, maybe from Central American countries that were literally in, uh, chained into like tomato growing farms and Mm -hmm. were shot if they tried to escape and like literally human trafficking close to slavery as you can get. That was, um, that was the food that is on our table, but people like Walmart didn't know kind of thing. Yeah. And yeah. his documentary, Incredible Timing, literally had a huge effect in the, the food production in the United States um, because he was able to get the buyers like the Walmarts to say, we're not going to buy slave labor tomatoes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm talking to him, getting ready for him to come on the show to do an interview. And I, we were talking about 
you know, how hard it is to raise money for documentaries because it's not a big commercial thing like a, you know, a narrative movie that's mm-hmm. going to be in the, in the uh, movie theater. And we're talking about, you know, how do you get a foundation to give you money? And he's saying that, you know, you, they're probably not going to, it's not going to happen the first time you have to meet him multiple times. And we were talking about mm-hmm. his approach where he goes in and he's like, yeah, I just show up and think, Hey, this is a really great opportunity to make some friends and it might even turn into money some at some point. Yeah. And so I said, Hey, uh, that's, I love that attitude. Do you have anything you tell yourself to be able to like take the salesman hat off and, and like suspend your personal ambition for, for what you want when you want it kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> and his answer was like a slight rebuke, but it was like really great. He's like, well, I gotta tell you, it's, it's more about just your habits for your daily life. Like, yeah. If you're yeah. the kind of person that's genuinely and sincere, sincerely interested in others in the rest of your life, then you just be yourself when you go to the foundation. So you, you don't have to like do any tricks or techniques. <laughs> and I was just like, <laughs> it was actually, awesome. But <laughs> I actually think that that is a good summary. Like if I think you just gave a really good sales pitch, why this book is worth reading. Even if you're highly, as I am, even if you're highly scientifically inclined, Socratically inclined, it's 120 pages. You can read it in a couple of hours. It, it, it's worth reading it to provide a blueprint of the personal or interpersonal habits you sh- we should try to magnify that, that are going to pay off long term. Uh, I, I, and, and, and I guess the, even the organizational habits that you could, could build in about adding more value than you take in return. You know, spreading that value to massive amounts of people, right? Um, uh, influence abundantly, serving people's needs greater than your than than your own, um, which is ex- basically excellence in customer service. And and then this this point that you just talked about, um, which which uh, uh, really is just kind of like the habit of authenticity of of like you can't you can't really fake who you, you, you people who are that way um don't need to think about when to turn it on off it's just who they are we've all got um, such a good bs detector you yeah. might be able to fool somebody for a little while but pretty soon there's going to be leakage of who you really yeah. are on the inside and yeah. do you really care about others like are and, you part of that charity because it sounds good or because you actually care you know yeah and, and think about the the different um components to a business and, and in a startup, like you, you might have the ability to turn it on, to go impress the, the, the funding, mm-hmm. you know, to get the capital lined up. And, and then you're just a terrible leader and, and <laughs> yeah. no one wants to work for you. Yeah. And, and so you miss out on, on this long term, um, uh, you know, the, the who rather than the what, like you, you miss on a, and same with, what what Jim Collins referred to is this flywheel effect, where where you know where when the group buys into the hedgehog and and starts performing, eventually there's this, this pushing of the flywheel, which eventually sustains its own momentum, and then there's an organic growth behind that. Like I, I don't think that you can can get a company that that is able to to sustain with without having. Um, an, an ability, and, and I think we need you, people would argue against that if they, they if they use like okay, well, what about Apple or what about Amazon? Well, I, I think that that there's a couple rebuts to that argument, which is they would have had people in place that can help sustain the culture, and both of those companies I don't think are have it would be interesting to see over long periods of time what what happens in in these types of companies too um so yeah you think about again i know good to great was the, was the episode before but mm-hmm. that guy who's really good in front of the camera or he's really good in front of the donors or really good in front of the um the the funders uh short term right yeah. but it's like he's a tyrant with a thousand helpers when he gets back and, and the attrition rate of the internal organization just gets hollowed out. And all of a sudden partner organizations that got talked in start abandoning, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about a specific individual um, that I've had quite a bit of interaction with that 
that uh, really does well publicly and um, but that self-focus kind of the 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 arrogance from how the mighty fall of Jim Collins mm-hmm. right yeah yep. uh, it's it's like the slow death that's eating them from the inside um, yep. do you know this book uh, deep change by Robert Quinn about the decision between facing the unknown that might work versus choosing the slow death mm-hmm. that we know won't work, but at least we know yeah. why it won't work. And yeah. just, you know, the courage and leadership to do the hard thing versus pick slow death that's easier for you personally, but will screw the organization. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyways. So uh, how many how many of the laws have we done? Uh, four. Okay. And then the last one, <clears throat> we can let's finish on, on this law. Um, this is an interesting one too, law of uh, receptivity. The key to effective giving is to stay open to receiving. And, um, I guess the way that I would frame this in, in a couple different contexts, one would be your personal, we've kind of bounced around a lot in this episode about, about, you know, applications in a business or entrepreneurial setting, or applications in a personal setting and kind of just the character and the person that you are, personal leadership, level five leadership, that kind of thing. Um, you know, I think what this, you get in the mindset of, of being the, the uh, giver all the time of, of the, you know, you're mm. the one adding value. You're the person, um, your, your organization is, um, is the one going above and beyond. And I think it's okay, and I, this is what this principle is kind of say, is like being open to receiving. Uh, you could call this a, a karmic law or, you know, a, a, you know, for those of you who are into philosophy, like Emerson and in laws of compensation, for example. Like if you're putting something of value out into the marketplace or you're putting consistently value in terms of your interpersonal relationships, um, you're going to get – you're going to get positive. It's going to come back to you. And then you have to be open to receiving that. You have to be, you have to really expect it as, as a consequence of putting all this in, in out there. And I think in the entrepreneurial context, you got to think, okay, we're going to put this massive value out there. People are going to reciprocate. So what is the system that we need to build that can automate and maintain and, 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 and sustain this process. <laughs> so then you get into systems thinking where you look at almost these things as their, their, their compensation. It's, it's, we're going to put the value out there. The value is absolutely going to trigger a, a reception uh, to us. We need to make sure that our business is, is set to handle this. And, and I think yeah. this is, this is where I think some, you see this where, where businesses fail with sales right? Like businesses that, that get too big too quickly fail sometimes. And why is that? Because they, they I think it's because this last law where they, they put a massive value proposition into the marketplace. The law of uh, receptivity happens. People respond to that. It comes back massively. But then they don't have the back end to handle this. They, they, they can't, well, it's like they, they have the back, they have the back end for a certain size and yes. they think, they think that how we handled our first hundred clients, we just need to scale that up to handle the first hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, maybe they have the ego that they won't bring in the experienced CEO because I'm the founder or they yeah. like, it's this idea of like, you've heard of this book, what got you here won't get you there. Yes. It's like, well, no, this got me here. It ain't broke. Why should I have to fix it? Right. Yes. You know, I yes. think about this on a personal level and I think like it's actually really hard for me to let other people buy dinner for mm. us. And like I I think it's almost like an ego thing where I have this vision of myself of like no, I'm the guy who buys other people dinner. Yeah. Right? And I'm the guy who helps other people out. I don't I don't need help. I'm the guy who helps people. And yeah. and yet <clears throat> you look you're talking about sales, you know you read Robert Cialdini and you, you learn about reciprocity and certainly you see this in the pharmaceutical industry where <clears throat> these gifts of less than a hundred dollars <laughs> move literally yeah. billions of dollars in pharmaceutical sales. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. and yet something they show is even more powerful than giving someone a gift for the reciprocity is 
when we let someone do something for us, when we let someone do service for us, they actually feel more positive about us than we feel about them. And we're the ones who receive the service. It's like, you remember being a boy scout and like raking the old lady's lawn and then mowing it or whatever. Yeah. And you're like, all of a sudden, like two hours later, you're you're like grubby and sweaty and you just, you just love this old lady and you're just great. God, you had the chance to help her out. And you're just like ear to ear about like, you know, this bed is like this widow who couldn't have done it herself because the tree had fallen down or the way, right? And you're just like, you feel so good at the end of it. How often we don't let our clients do us a favor. Yeah. And we're missing the opportunity for relationship building. Yeah. Um, I will tell you one one time when this did go well for me. Um, I uh, had a client um, that, and both the spouse and the husband um, <clears throat> were, were we, we were doing some work with and and his his wife was in charge of a very large organization, fifty two billion dollar budget. And I was just getting to know him. You know, I, I strategically worked to be at the same conference and we got lunch together and, and we were throwing out these ideas and he joked around about, do I want to come out to their beach house? And yep. it was like a little bit tongue in cheek and a little bit kind of, you know, <laughs> like slightly, see, we've known each other for like 35 minutes. Right. Yep. And I was yep. like, and, and I thought about this and I thought like, you know, you want to be like humble, like, no, no. Right. But he kind of wants yep. to show off his beach house a little bit too. Right. And so yeah. I was like, hey, you be careful about that. I'll take you up on it if you're serious. And he's like, no, then he has to double down, right? He's like, no, I am serious. And he was like, like a month later, I'm flying across the country to go stay at this beach house. And it's just me and him for like two days, right? And what's funny is we called our, we both called our contact in common at the same time the night before trying to get intelligence on each other. Like, what, what did I really sign up for? Right. And... And it turned into like, it, it's funny because we're kind of like, we got there and we both kind of realized how funny it was. <laughs> like, <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> but it actually turned into like a, a really solid friendship that has lasted years now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think without somebody pushing this principle on me, like having learned this principle, it was, would not have been my inclination to have taken them up on the offer, you know? Absolutely. I'll tell you, that's a, that's a good story. I'll tell you another one that I've seen too, where, where you, you let's, let's analyze the word re, uh, uh, rest, receptivity and think, well, what does that mean? Does it mean you're open to receiving? Um, well, obviously it means that, but like, I wonder if you could even take it a step further and just say you feel not entitled because entitled that, that word has baggage. I don't want to mm-hmm. use that word, but, but reasonably deserving of, let, let's maybe define it as that where, where I've seen it is with really, really, really good salespeople. And, and I mean like high, high performance salespeople who, who, who repeatedly, um, you know, are top, top producers. Top producers, they have to, uh, they, they are providing all these, they're, they're providing a value for sure. And they have to. That's how to become remarkable is, is to consistently uh, provide this value, go, go the extra mile um, for, their, for their customers. And, and, you know, for those of you who might be starting to think about a business, uh, listeners who, who are maybe kind of dipping your toes into the world of entrepreneurship, well, entrepreneurialism and sales go hand in hand. You've got to learn sales. <laughs> you, you, like you're yeah, selling no all kidding. the time. You're selling your idea. You're selling financing. Selling employees. the staff and, on why they should work for your company. Yeah, like everything constantly. But what, but what I see by that is, okay, I think what I've seen with these high-producing salespeople or the entrepreneurs who are particularly um, proficient in the selling department they almost have the ability to take this idea of reception and turn it into an ask where, where there is a sense of, of, of reasonable deserving that they have provided this value. So they're going to ask, right? They're going to ask for referral. They're going to ask for loyalty or they're going to, from their employees, or they're going to ask to go the extra mile, like, because they've provided it. And so not only are they receptive to receiving it, but that receptiveness is is gives them a level of confidence that they ask without without the sleazy ask. It's but, like, it's, but it's not manipulative. No, right? no, no, no. It's like this thing of like, 
you scratch their back so many times that yes. you actually become friends and it's okay for friends to ask each other for a favor. Totally. You know, and, I, and I, I think yeah. about that. So Lindsay Hadley, you know, one of my heroes, she used to be my employee. Now I feel like she's my mentor, right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> totally. You know, she's made so many connections for us and done these fun things. Got us, you know, got me invited for dinner to Hugh Jackman's house with all these fancy people. And, you know, like just over and over open doors for us, done things for us. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and when she calls and is like, Hey, listen, I know that, you know, so-and-so, um, what do you think about getting us a lunch together? I, I really wonder if they'd be a good client for my, for, um, she's got a tech company she just started. Yeah. Yep. And it's like, it's actually like a, a really fun thing for me to be able to return a favor. Right. And yeah. she does it's, there's no obligation of like, Jess, you owe me when she does it. It's, it's, it's just like, um, it's almost like an equilibrium thing or something. I don't yes. know how to put words to it. Well, I think it's a, I think it is a um, manifestation of what Cialdini is talking about in influence about the principle of res, uh, reciprocity, which is when, you know, when, when people, people want to give back. Mm-hmm. And, and I think sometimes if you're not willing to ask, you, you, you don't facilitate their desire to give back. Like when, when you mm-hmm. add a whole bunch of value to people, people implicitly want to provide it back to you. But sometimes there's not a mechanism or maybe they're just reticent to just offer it themselves. But when, when you have the, the quiet confidence of, of asking for it, then you actually um, finish the transaction, so to speak. And, and I think that the, the really, you know, however we want to describe them, level five people in this particular uh, uh, skill set, are the ones who have that quiet confidence that I have provided value and, and I'm going to ask, but it doesn't come across. And I think, I think the distinction in, in it not coming across as, as the sleazy ask or the hustle ask or the overly solicitous ask is because of the value add. If, if, if you haven't added that value, like then the person... Yeah, they've already made the asking, deposits in the emotional bank account. Yeah. In fact, yeah, exactly. they've made like... A lot more than they're asking for. Uh, and so it doesn't feel transactional. No, it doesn't. And that, that's the key because I think that's the key to, to, to sales in general is it not feeling transactional at all. Yeah. If, if you can turn what people you know, perceive from the outset as an awkward transactional you know, thing that they'd rather not engage in, and make it just feel natural, like a personal relationship. I, you know, I think that's that's what the best salespeople do. <laughs> yeah, the best the best the best salespeople never sell. You know, they're, they're, in my in my sales training class that I was just teaching this week, we talked yeah. about not sending proposals. Like, if yeah. you have to send a proposal um, that is not just paperwork confirming what we all agreed to, right? Yeah, you've done it wrong. Like. The client needs to have been designing their own program for themselves. It just happens to include your product. Yeah. And you've socialized the price where it's like a menu. We're not, we're not trying to get them. They're, they're mixing and matching knowing the pricings themselves for their own plan for themselves, right? But yeah. it's like a, there's that Robert Redford movie, The Horse Whisperer, kind of based on the real-life guy, Buck Brenneman. And there's an amazing documentary on Netflix called Buck. We might have to do a book review about a documentary. <laughs> but... It's like this idea of becoming the client whisperer, where instead yes. of yanking on the halter, it's like the subtlety and the relationship is built to the point that the horse actually wants to follow this guy around like it's a dog, right? Yeah. Um, those, top, those top people have like, they've become a valuable advisor instead of, yep. instead of a sleazy salesperson, right? Yep. I, I've, I've seen that a lot in, in my life and with others is like, when, when you just have it as a habit to... Just, just add value to people. You know, I, I've gotten so many different startup clients, for example, is in my legal practice too. With, you know, people calling, and I'll, and I'll take twenty minutes, or I'll take half an hour, and I don't charge them, and I just before I know it, I'm I'm going deep into their business, and and then sometimes that simple deposit into into an you know into their emotional bank account or however you want to describe it, it pays off massively. It pays off into a long relationship with a client who ends up referring you to everyone else and. And and I and I, I don't think yes, that's but but even if it doesn't, doesn't your quality of life go up so much to have helped somebody that was in need? 
Yeah. And when you're turning, yeah, it does. And when you turn into a habit, you're not having to consciously think about, okay, I, the go-giver says that the law of value, <laughs> you know, yeah. you're, you're not, you're not doing that at all. Like this is, this is talent code myelin, uh, um, application here. You know, we're, th- this is the, the automatic performance, yeah. um, because of practice, because of deep practice. Yep. I love it. Yep. Okay, fine. Uh, can we go to final sales pitch for the book, or do you want to cover more stuff first? No, I think that's it. The the, the final sales pitch, I, I think this episode, I, I hope this episode has been a... Uh, a <laughs> One huge sales pitch, but... <laughs> you know, a sustained sales pitch without 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 too much of a pitch. I guess my, my, my sales pitch is like, don't judge a book by its cover. Like, it might have been on Oprah's book club, but that doesn't mean that you, the, the, the quants and the data heads should avoid it. It's got some really fundamental things in here that when you turn into a habit, either personally or institutionally, they're they're just they're correct. And I think that maybe that's the sales pitch is like, like, is the principle correct? Mm-hmm. And and that's what you judge it by. Is it correct? Does it work? Is it correct? And I think these principles are correct. And so if you get nauseated by a by a business myth then go to the last page and, and read it because these, these principles are correct. Um, but I personally like the business myth uh, structure. It, it's kind of an entertaining read. It's a light read. It's makes easy. it quick. It makes it quick. You know, it's memorable. Yeah. It's easy to remember. Um, but it's so, correct. It's my best pitch is like yeah. this, this is correct. <clears throat> and, and I think the, the quants and the anybody who normally wouldn't read a book that has this cover, yeah. um, their years of real-life experience – are the data that this will get matched up against. It, yeah. It's inherently human. So yeah. I think my sales pitch for the book is, um, <laughs> it's like a how-to guide of becoming Lindsay Hadley. That's my pitch right there. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay. Thanks for listening, everybody. Um, tune in again next week when Ryan and I talk about another book for innovators and entrepreneurs. Now's the time to find your color, your paint, and everything to get started during red, white, and blue savings at the Home Depot. Transforming your room is easier than ever. With the best deals online and in-store, you can confidently select your color and the tools for your next paint project. Get a colorful new experience and the right paint for the right price. Save $10 on one gallon and $40 off three and five gallons for a limited time only at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Limit 25 gallons per household. See store for details.